Well, it's the Victoria Day long weekend, and May 2-4 is actually going to fall on Monday, May 24th this year. Normally, this is the kickoff of the summer season with outdoor activities, get-togethers, a little hiking or camping, maybe a backyard barbecue. But nothing is normal these days, and unfortunately, for the second year in a row, our Victoria Day traditions are having to be altered a little. And I think the only ones who didn't get the memo are the mosquitoes and black flies who gather anyhow and who don't respect physical distancing. One of the things I'm looking forward to when we can begin to gather again together with others is the food. It's always good to prepare a lot when company's coming because that means not only will everyone have a good time, but there will be plenty of leftovers resulting in the fact that lunches in the days that follow will be comprised of barbecued chicken and beef, grilled vegetables and salads, maybe even some dessert. It's like you get to enjoy the meal all over again. Well, that's kind of a little bit like we're going to do today. We're going to look back over the last four weeks where we have been enjoying a spiritual buffet, surveying what the Bible says about who God the Holy Spirit is, what the Holy Spirit does, and why does it matter to us in our daily life. We're going to reflect back on what we have learned, and then we're going to look ahead to see what does it mean for us to receive the Holy Spirit more fully in our lives today. Because like a Victoria Day weekend without fireworks, when the Holy Spirit is not an active and vital part of our life, there's something missing. It's an unopened gift from God. And, and not only is this what God wants for us, it's what he wants us to have in the full. As we begin, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 is about halfway through the New Testament. As the Apostle Paul finishes off his letter to the church in Ephesus, he does so with some careful instructions in Ephesians 5 on how they're to live out their faith. Paul begins in verse 1 by saying, follow God's example. In other words, learn to live like Jesus lived as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And then he goes on to, to give us a specific list of behaviors that God wants us to be free from, because they will destroy relationships, hinder mission, and put barriers between us and God. Verse 3, he says, But among you there must, not be, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscen uh, obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person such as a such person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the, king, in, in the kingdom of Christ and of God. This is a straight-up challenge that just hits all of us. But rather than just leaving us there in condemnation and guilt, Paul summarizes the passage with hope in verse 15, where he again says, Be careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the, make, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. 
Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's telling us that being filled with the Holy Spirit is what enables us to walk in the way of love, to avoid the trappings of sin, and to live a life of wisdom as we make the most of every opportunity. That's because of who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. In our first week, we discovered that the Holy Spirit is God, not just a power or some impersonal force or influence in our life, but God himself. The Bible is very clear that the Holy Spirit is a divine person, the third person of the Trinity. And by person, I mean somebody who has their own identity, individuality, and and is a rational being. Sometimes we struggle to see the Holy Spirit as a person because we assume that a person must have a body with eyes and hands and feet. But God the Father does not have any of these, and yet we can relate to God as a father because we have a sense of what a father is like. But those physical aspects are not the marks of a person. A person could lose a hand and they would still be a person. The genuine marks of a person is that they, are, they have individual knowledge, reason, emotion, and will. All of these things the Spirit has. Another way of understanding this is to say that a person can do personal and relational things, such as speaking, thinking, feeling, choosing, loving, acting. And again, the Holy Spirit does all these things as, a, as part of the relational community with God the Father and God the Son in the Holy Trinity. And because the Holy Spirit is a person, the Spirit is able to relate to us personally and to invite us to experience life with God. Pastor John Piper says it this way, to be filled with the Holy Spirit means to be, to be caught up into the joy that flows among the Holy Trinity and to love God the Father and God the Son with the very love with which they love each other. A number of years ago, I went on a trip with my mom to visit a friend in Scotland. When we were in Edinburgh, I asked the locals where we could hear some traditional Scottish music. Through conversation, we got invited to a local church where they were hosting in the basement a night of music and Scottish dancing known as a Kaylee. What I didn't know at the time was that a Kaylee is an event where participation is expected. You can't just go and listen and watch. They invite you to get up on the floor. Some of the steps in a Kaylee are reminiscent of American square dancing, right down to the swing your partner and the do si do. And there's even a caller shouting out the steps. Now, at first, I was really reluctant because I have two left feet. But once I got over myself and just joined in and learned a few basic steps, it might be some of the most fun I've had at church. I think the Apostle Paul is saying, Don't get trapped in a life of compromise and sin. Don't settle for religion based on rules and keeping up appearances because that's slavery too. Instead, be filled with the Spirit and enter into the dance of faith with God. I wonder if our church gatherings should feel less like business meetings and more like a Scottish Cayley and where we allow the Holy Spirit to be the caller and we learn from the word the the steps in the dance. But this is more than just an invitation in verse 18. It's a commandment for those who know and love God. This is God's will for your life. 
And it's a commandment that's written in the present continuous tense, meaning that we should be, that it should be a current and ongoing reality. In the book of Acts in chapter 6, the church was needing to choose leaders to care for the practical needs of those in the community. And the apostles stipulated the criteria for those who lead was that they must be known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Being filled with the Holy Spirit was a state in which they continuously lived. Do you know when you meet somebody and you interact with them and you just have a sense of God's presence in and around and with them? Whether it's at, uh, at church on Sunday or at work on Monday or at their home on Tuesday evening with their family, they are consistent. They're the same. And they radiate the presence, love, and wisdom of God. That's not just for the spiritually elite and the lucky. That is possible for all of us. One of those who was chosen to lead in the church was named Stephen, and Stephen became the first martyr of the church because of his faith. And yet, even in the midst of tremendous suffering, opposition, and certain death, he was full of the Holy Spirit. That same description is given in the Bible to Barnabas and to Paul himself, and it's what God wants for you and me, to live life full of the Holy Spirit. But what does that mean? We saw in week two that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is what makes faith possible. When we were baptized in the Holy Spirit, we were made alive in God. Our salvation and conversion to faith is first and foremost an act of God the Holy Spirit coming into our lives and awakening us spiritually. But notice that Paul's commandment here in Ephesians 5 is given to those who were already people of faith. So this is not about regeneration or salvation. In Paul's letter, as he writes it to them, he says that they are sealed with the Spirit. They have access to the Father by the Spirit. They are a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. They are strengthened with power in their inner being through the Spirit. And they are to keep the unity of the Spirit. So by the time he gets to chapter 5, he's saying that in response to all of this, All that God has done, all that the Holy Spirit has already done, keep on being filled. Keep on learning to live life with the Holy Spirit. How to do it, how to live it out. When our boys were young, we wanted them to develop both their creative side and their athletic side. So in addition to putting them in sports, we also required them to take music lessons. And it was great to hear them practice and play and develop. Now, as young adults, they don't play as much as they used to. And there is a fear for us, for us as parents that they won't retain what was invested in them. Because we want them to live a life with music in it. To keep on playing. To build on and use the gift that's been given. In giving this commandment, Paul is like a spiritual parent saying, keep on being filled. It's because he knows what the Spirit does. And what life in the Spirit is like. In week number three, Jay took us to Galatians chapter five, where we saw how the Spirit can transform our character, evidenced by the emergence of the fruit of the Spirit. We form this divine partnership with God as we submit, grow, and remain in Jesus. And it's a beautiful relationship that forms with the Holy Spirit taking the role of the master chef and us being the sous chefs as God creates fruit 
in our lives that flows out with the flavor of Jesus and characteristics like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the flavors that God wants to create in our lives as we partner with the Holy Spirit in allowing them to develop. Appropriately, after we talked about character and fruit, we came in week four to the topic of the gifts of the Spirit. And that order is important because without character, gifts can be misused and even harmful. Rather than building others up, it can be used to tear others down. Someone with the gift of leadership who has not been conditioned by the fruit of love and patience will be a spiritual bully. Someone with the gifts of helps and mercy who does not have the fruit of self-control will soon burn themselves out. So the fruit and the gifts go together and we're called to pursue both of them as we step out on mission with God. Every one of us has a spiritual gift. Each of us is an each, as Jay said. They have been, we've been given gifts in order to build up the church and extend the kingdom and give people around us a glimpse of who Jesus is and what he's up to in the world. Each one of us has a contribution to make. You were shaped to serve. And the Spirit will enable you to do that as you step out and say, here am I, use me, God. But all of that is just the beginning of what God the Holy Spirit offers to us. It's the foundation for life in the Spirit. As we read through the New Testament, we see that the Spirit does so much more. And I just want to highlight a few this morning, just to whet your appetite for more. First, the Holy Spirit transforms us inwardly. The Spirit wants to change you and make you a little bit more like Jesus every day. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, For we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I read an illustration the other day of a father who was making pancakes for his two sons. The boys began to argue about who should get the first pancake, and dad thought this would be a good moment to teach them a gospel lesson. So he said, you know, guys, if Jesus were here right now, he would let his brother have the first pancake. The two kids grew quiet and just kind of looked at each other as they thought about their father's words. And then after a moment, the older brother said to his younger sibling, okay, then you be Jesus today. Becoming like Christ does not mean that we, we have to copy his life or mimic all the things that he did. While people are the same and the core temptations that we face haven't changed, the circumstances in which Jesus lived are vastly different than ours. Jesus didn't have to answer email. He didn't commute to work on a busy highway. He wasn't married. He didn't have children. He didn't face the same opportunities and challenges that you do on a daily basis. Therefore, we cannot imitate the external details of Jesus' life. But we can imitate his inner life, his faith, and the way that he treated others and responded to God. 
What being conformed to the image of Jesus means is that we are increasingly taking on his character, following his example, and obeying his teaching. We're learning to live our lives the way Jesus would if he were living them. To bring about this inner transformation, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and calls us to right living. The Spirit does this by revealing the truth of God's word to us. In John chapter 14, Jesus promises the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Spirit will send in my name, he will teach you all the things and bring, you, and bring to remembrance all the things I have said to you. The Spirit affirms our identity as children of God. The Spirit reminds us that we are redeemed, adopted, and dearly loved. And the result is that the Holy Spirit helps us yield ourselves increasingly to God's will for our lives. So we can pray wholeheartedly, God, your will be done. And when the Holy Spirit fills our lives and Christ is being formed within us, it is impossible to conceal. Even though the transformation is inward, it becomes outwardly evident to those who are around us. Second, the Holy Spirit guides us in our decision-making. This is the whole process of discernment, that we don't have to go it alone. The Spirit is there to help us to make good, wise, and godly decisions and avoid stupid mistakes and unhelpful and harmful things. Romans chapter 8 says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. And in Acts 4, 1528, Paul reveals his own spirit-led discernment when he says, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to, to, to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. Biblical references like these and so many others encourage us to believe that the Spirit wants to guide us in our choices and our decisions. Whether that's seemingly the small choices that we make every single day, or the large major life decisions. And the purpose of discernment is to lead us into God's will and to give us peace and confidence in doing it. There's a question in our Talking Points handout that you can download off the website, which asks you to describe the process of discernment that you use in determining God's will. Because it's not always just going on a hunch or, or, or figuring out what you want. What does it mean for you to have confidence that you are being led by God? How do you discern the movements of the Holy Spirit in your life? And what role do others have in helping you make those decisions? Third, the Holy Spirit helps us to pray. And this is so encouraging. Prayer effectively is not about getting the words right. It's about recognizing that God is with you and that God is for you and trusting God to interpret your thoughts and your words and provide what you need. Romans 8, 26 and 27 says, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with God, with the will of God. Have you ever been in one of those awkward situations where people are praying? And maybe you're, you're sitting around in a group and all of a sudden people are praying and it's kind of moving around the circle. And you know that it's coming to you. 
And all you can think of is, I have no idea what to say. Or maybe you're in a certain situation where a friend is sharing a significant need and they're asking for prayer. And you'd love to pray for them right then or even a later time, but, but you actually are afraid that you might mess it up. Sometimes we want to go looking for somebody else who we, are, who, who we think they could pray. Like we're more confident in their prayers than in our own prayers. Or you're in a situation where, where you are concerned about something that's going on in the world or overwhelmed by a circumstance that's happening in your own life. How do you bring that to God in prayer? Be reassured. You cannot mess prayer up. Because the Holy Spirit will interpret your heart, translate your words, and intercede for your needs before the Father. You just need to show up and open up, and God will take it up from there. In Andre Luf's book, Teach Us to Pray, he tells the story of a man in the church who was a real man of prayer, someone who lived out prayer every day. One of those people we'd go after to get them to pray for us. One day a person asked him, how did he reach that state? And he replied that he found it hard to explain. He says, looking back, my impression is that for many years I was carrying prayer around in my heart, but I didn't know it. And I didn't know how to release it. It was like a spring that was covered by a stone. And then at a particular moment, Jesus came and took the stone away. And at that moment, the spring began to flow And it's been flowing ever since. Many of us need that to happen in our life. We need God to come and remove the stone that is hindering our prayers. And we need to trust the Holy Spirit to lead us when we pray. Fourth, the Holy Spirit empowers our witness. That's that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. And that's where we started, back in Acts 2. Where it says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And people from other cultures who spoke other languages said, how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? How do you shine the light of Christ in your home, in your neighborhood, at your job site? How do you live out your faith in the midst of challenging days? How do you share the hope that you have in your life with those who are around you who you care about? How do you learn to listen deeply to others or to communicate God's good news to them? All of this is done through the work and the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes our witness effective. If we're willing to trust God to use us and are courageous enough to step out in faith. I wonder if one of the reasons that so few of us ever actually witness and share our faith with others is because the Holy Spirit, for a large part, is a missing person in our lives. We, we, we are, we're afraid to step out and take risks because we think we can't do it. And the answer is, you're right. It's the Holy Spirit who is the one who empowers us to lay down our lives like Jesus did. Now, that might sound very dramatic and maybe a little intimidating, but it doesn't, mean, it doesn't only mean that we would be willing to die for Jesus. Maybe just as importantly, it means I'm willing to live for him. That I'm willing to allow him to use me. I hope that you're beginning to see that the Holy Spirit invades and impacts all of life if we will allow him to. 
being filled with the Holy Spirit, it isn't just about getting a little top up, kind of like filling your car up with gas or a jug up with water. As we said, the Holy Spirit is a person, not a liquid. You either have him or you don't have him. You cannot half have him. I think a better way of understanding being filled is to think of the term saturated. Allowing the spirit to infiltrate every part of your life. It's not that we get more of God, but rather that God gets more of us. Sometimes we talk about people being filled with joy and they're just giddy happy. It just spills all over them. Or, or others who are filled with anger or filled with sadness. And it means that that emotion impacts every part of them. To be filled means to allow that emotion to dominate your personality and to determine your behavior. And I think that's why Paul appropriately in Ephesians 5 uses the contrasting example of being drunk with wine. Wine is what the person uses to relieve the pressure of the day. It's the drug that helps them seemingly navigate and control and even enjoy life. But when someone is intoxicated, it completely changes who they are. It influences the way they think, the way they talk, the way they walk, even the way they smell. In fact, if someone is inebriated, there's no point in trying to reason with them or get them to do anything responsible because the alcohol is in charge. Sometimes we choose less obvious drugs and more acceptable drugs to medicate our pain, to mask our struggle, or try to control our lives. Paul could have used the example of overeating, or anger, or pornography, or binging on Netflix, or getting lost in social media, or working too much, withdrawing inappropriately, or any other method we use uh, in place of God. In fact, that's why Paul gives us this huge list of, of vices to avoid. And he says, don't go down those roads. They don't lead to life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It means to let God become the determining factor in how we will think, how we will talk, how we will walk, even how we will smell, that we would have the fragrance of Christ. God is the one who helps us navigate, manage, and enjoy life. God allows us to pr pursue life and to live life in a way that is earmarked by the fragrance and character of Christ. Because together with other believers, we begin to smell like, like Christ would smell. The joy and the peace and the love overflows. When Christians gather together, I wonder if we should smell like an orchard in springtime. When I was a kid, my dad used to ask me to help him do tasks and repairs around the farm. And my job was simple. Stand there. Wait for instruction. Run and get what I need. Hold the tool until I need it. And sometimes we see the Holy Spirit that way. Because it's always good to have a helper when you tackle a big job. And we can view the Holy Spirit as the one who helps us get the job done. And that may be a good start, but I think it's revolutionary to come to the place where we finally realize that actually we are here to help the Spirit get His job done. The Spirit is the one who's in charge. And being filled with the Spirit has the ability to change everything. And it is way better than going it alone or settling for second-rate spirituality. 
So how can you be filled with the Holy Spirit? What should you do? The Bible is not prescriptive about this. It doesn't just give us one single formula. In some cases, Christians would gather around each other and they would lay their hands on each other and they would pray and ask God to fill them with the Holy Spirit. At other times, the filling of the Spirit came when somebody was anointed with oil. But it's not always an external sign, nor does it always have to be dramatic. Sometimes it's as simple as putting yourself in a place ready to receive. Just quietly sitting before you begin the day and asking God to fill you and to give you what you need and to use you in what is to come. God, fill me today. Go before me today and use me for your purposes. May the fruit of the Spirit be evident. May the gifts that you've given me be used for your purposes. Let me live for you today. Let me live in you today. Jerusalem has been in the news for all the wrong reasons the last few weeks, and it is tragic what is happening in Israel, in Gaza, and in the West Bank. And we need to be in prayer for peace, justice, and security to come to the Middle East. But when you see the videos in peaceful times of people praying at the Western Wall, you will notice that they rock when they pray. They will go up to the wall and they will just intercede and they pray. And the whole time they are moving, they are gesturing, they are swaying, they are moving. They're never standing still. Sometimes they're raising their hands, sometimes they're kneeling down. What they're doing as they pray is trying to get God's attention. They are saying with their bodies, notice me, God. I'm not a statue. I'm seeking you. Here I am, a living person. I need you. Maybe we all should be rocking a little bit more when it comes to prayer, because do we ever need God today? We need God, the Holy Spirit, to fill our lives, to strengthen our families, to rebuild our church and to revive our land. We need the Holy Spirit to come upon uh, our leaders with power and upon our children and our students and our seniors and our men and our women. When the Spirit came at Pentecost, 3,000 people came to faith in a single day. Do we believe that is still possible today? As you read through the book of Acts, you see the Spirit doing incredible things through the lives of ordinary everyday people. Do we believe that God can and will do that through us? But we don't have to rock and weigh and sway to get God's attention. 2 Chronicles chapter 16 tells us this, God's on the lookout for us. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. God's eye is on you. We've been teaching a lot about the Holy Spirit. And what the Spirit does. But ultimately, like any relationship, our relationship with the Holy Spirit only grows deeper through time, intimacy, and trust. The information is great and really helpful. But what we really need is an encounter with the Holy Spirit. So here's what I'd like for you to do. As we sing this last song, I want you just to make some space for God to meet you. As the service wraps up, just don't rush off. Simply take a few minutes and sit with God. Maybe just open up your hands 
as a gesture that you're willing to receive and, and place them in your lap. Or if you're comfortable, put them in the air. And you have my permission. You can even get up and rock and sway and throw your hands up and say, God, I need you. Remember, no one can see you, but God does. You're saying to God, here I am. Come and fill me. I welcome you in my life in a deeper way. Fill us to the fullness of God, O Holy Spirit, we pray. Let's pray together. In the words of the song by Carrie Job, breathe on us. Holy fire fall. Come and fill this place. Fill us with your presence. Like a rushing wind, send your spirit here. Breath of heaven, breathe on us. Breath of heaven, breathe on us.